This morning, great to be part of our church community. Can't believe it's almost the end of 2023. Can you believe that? Like, Daylight like Saving next week. Thank goodness I'm not speaking next week. Our list to prepare. So, um, I'm not convinced I'm over 2022. Uh, that just seemed like a tough year. I got a new boss that year, so that's always stressful, right? You get a new boss. And we had four major things going on at work. I was involved in all four. Well, yeah. And one of them was really public, which was uh, super stressful as well. Our two girls, we got married to Penny, we got uh, two girls, an eldest and the youngest. They disappeared to Melbourne uh, during, you know, COVID travel restrictions. Seems like an age ago, babe. Remember that? And um, our son disappeared to Hamilton, so we were empty nesting for the first time. A delightful experience, but can be stressful a bit as well, uh, particularly for Penny. Uh, <laughs> Uh, what else happened? Oh, so I spoke in churches every, almost an average of once every two weeks, which is just way too much. So my, my fault, because I said yes rather than saying no, <laughs> but uh, that's a lot. So that was stressful. Then taught in a home group once every week as well. So that was like Palmy one week, Waikanae the next week, we live in Waikanae. So, so that was, so I got to the end of the year uh, and I don't think I've been as exhausted as that in the entirety of my life. I was just exhausted. And so we, we are holidaying in Christmas at the moment in Mapua, which is kind of 20 minutes. I'm not going to give you directions because I'm no good at compass and stuff. But sort of 20 minutes out of Nelson. And that's where Penny's sister-in-law, Jane, lives. So we've done that in the last few years. So, I, you know, we arrived on like the 23rd of December in, in Mapua and... You know that feeling where you just kind of like, what just happened? You know, days confused, completely like not present. And so that was me at Christmas time. And so we were staying in Mapua. And so one morning, because we were staying in this room and you, and you had to get to the bathroom, you, to get to the bathroom, you had to kind of go outside of the room. And so early, like well before five, I, I got up one morning for, for a comfort stop. And as I, as I headed outside, the the morning was, was, it was just breaking morning, and the light was, you can see it up there, like, there's these, these hills beyond, behind Nelson called the Richmond Hill Range, and the light was just beginning to emerge from behind the hill range, and I kind of just stopped, because it was so stunning, uh, it just sort of grabbed me, and this little bird came and rested on a wire above me and chirped. Like and it was like the bird was chirping at me. I know that sounds silly now, but and I was just standing there with this bird above me and this amazing morning light emerging, kind of over Nelson and Mapua. And I just got this incredible sense of the presence and the friendship of God in that moment. No audible voices, nothing like that, but just like God was just right there. And if you were to ask me, like, so what, what would you say if you were going to verbalize it? And it was kind of something like this, like God expressing to me, wow, that was quite a year. <laughs> um, I know you're exhausted. Uh, I'm your father. I understand. I'm here for you. Uh, You've got to recover. I hope you do that. And that was what it was kind of like in that moment. And so after a while, just standing there and just really enjoying the friendship of God, I, I headed back to bed. I got back into bed and I thought, 
nah, that was too good. <laughs> so I jumped back out again and I went back out. But you know what? The light had changed and it just wasn't the same. But actually, that was really good because I realized that I just had this moment with God where he just was overwhelmingly expressing his friendship to me. I don't think I'll ever forget that. It was just this amazing. If you were to ask me, so what was your walk with God like, you know, mid-December 22 to March 23, I would say, what was God like in my life? He was just like a friend, just this amazing friend in my life for that three or so months. Um, as much of a friend, I mean, I'd never really experienced him like that as a friend so much, except for when I was first a Christian. Isn't, isn't it incredible that with all the things that God is to us, sometimes he's his friend, and it's an incredible experience to have God as our friend. So we're going to be uh, heading into Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 11 this morning, which is just this fan, just a fantastic passage. But it's a passage that expresses to us the friendship of God. And it should be up on the screen, but I made a rookie mistake and had a chance to correct it twice and didn't do it, so I haven't got it for you. Uh, we'll, we'll, kind of, we'll get to it as we go through this morning, but I'm going to have to direct you to your Bibles or your devices. If you haven't got one, find someone who's got one and look over their shoulder and the person who's someone's looking over your shoulder, be nice. Uh, but let's, um, let's read this incredible passage in Romans chapter 5. Because it is amazing. So, verse number six. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because, of our, Lord Jesus, because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Isn't this like a spectacular passage? Just amazing. Uh, some people have called it, some commentators have called it the John 3.16 of Romans. Uh, and it is incredible. You just read it and sit there in it and you think, wow. And it, and it does do a magnificent job of expressing the restoration and the reconciliation of us as sinners uh, to God the Father through the death of his Son, Jesus Christ. Magnificent. But actually it also expresses what I'd call a true gospel-centered friendship. So what is it to be a gospel-centered friend? Well, I think that this passage, this short clip in Romans, expresses what it is to be a gospel-centered friend. And there's just so much stuff in it. And I'm going to push it a little this morning because I want to cover four things that I think it, it says about gospel-centered friendship, how to be a gospel-centered friend. And that's because we're in this series, Better Now, which is all about friendship, gospel-centered relationships. So, and to me, there's at least four things, like there's plenty more, but like a gospel-centered friend 
understands our weaknesses. A gospel-centered friend honest with us. A gospel-centered friend seeks reconciliation when things have gone wrong. And a gospel-centered friend accepts us for who we are. And through this passage in Romans, to me that's how it speaks to us of this offer of friendship with God. So let's, let's run through it and let's look at each of these things. So a gospel-centered friend understands our weaknesses. Jesus recognized, God recognized that, that we're weak. Uh, other Bible versions put this verse this way, while we, were, while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. We just, as a race, got ourselves into a horrendous mess, right? And a mess that we couldn't fix. And so just at the right time, when the timing was right, a a, a thing for another day, Jesus Christ came into the world to fix the mess. He understands our weakness. He isn't shocked when we struggle. He doesn't think less of us when we struggle. We can never wake up in the morning and say, does God love me any less today because I've got weaknesses and I've got problems and I've got issues? No, he's never going to love us any less than he did yesterday. Why? Partly because he's been there. Right? Jesus Christ came to the earth to live a human life and to understand what it is to struggle. Not that he struggled, but he understood what it was like to struggle. The Bible says when he came to earth, he was tempted at every point, just like we are. And yet, unlike us, he was without sin. And so when we come to God and we say, man, I'm struggling. He's a, he's a gospel-centered friend. He understands what it is to have weakness, what it is to, to struggle, to have problems. He understands, and, he, and if he could express it to us, he'd say, yeah, came, understood, I walked the earth understand weakness. A true friend sees our weaknesses, understands our weakness, but but rather than condemning us, seeks to help us with them. That's what Christ did for us when we were utterly helpless. Christ came and died for us sinners. Now we all have people in our lives who have problems and weaknesses that deeply bother us. I know for me, and particularly in my family, my wider family, there are people that have weaknesses and problems that wind me up <laughs> and really bother me. And, and actually, I, I have, I've avoided them. I've limited my contact because of the weaknesses and the problems that they have. So it's created change in the relationship. And this really turned around for me when I came to understand and accept their weaknesses rather than condemn them for them, if you kind of know what I mean. The big turning point for me was looking at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, when he's in the Garden, it's right before he's about to be crucified. He goes in with Peter, James, and John, his three very best friends, and they go into the Garden, and Jesus kind of plants them at this tree, and then he goes a little further away from them, and he says to them, watch, wait, and pray. And, 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 it, and each time he comes back to them, he does it three times, they're asleep. <laughs> so he goes, comes back, they're asleep. And he says, no, 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 
You know, the, uh, the flesh is willing, but uh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Goes away, comes back again, they're asleep. Goes away, comes back again, they're asleep. He's in agony, like he's dripping sweats of blood. And he comes back the third time. And he says to them, the, the phrase in the Bible is, it is enough. And that kind of has that sense in it of, you're just unable to do this. You just, you're too weak. You, you, you can't do this. And he says, okay, let's go. And, and it's that sense of Jesus saying, this is as good as it's going to get, even these close friends of mine just can't do this. For me, I recognise in that moment that, that Christ accepts our weaknesses, he understands them. And when I took a, the approach in my family of accepting weakness, man, it turned it around for me. And I was able to engage and more frequently and just accept that that's you know, how people are and made a big difference for me. Christ understands our weaknesses. How are you going at that? <laughs> at accepting, understanding someone's weaknesses? Because that's what a gospel friend does, understands. Secondly, this morning, a gospel-centered friend uh, is honest with us, verses 7 and 8. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. It's painful to hear the truth about ourselves sometimes, isn't it? We like to hear the good stuff, not so much the bad stuff. But Jesus Christ is a true friend. He's straight up with us. He tells us the truth. He fronts up. What does he say in verses 7 and 8? You're not an upright, righteous or virtuous person. Actually, you're not even <laughs> a good person. You're ungodly, you're wicked, you're a sinner. Oh, wow. <laughs> he tells us the truth about ourselves, about our motives, about our relationships, about our sin, what's right, what's wrong, whether it's diplomatic or not. He's out there with it. Not only that, the Bible's gut-level honest about its heroes, a lot of biographies, when they explain or are looking at people's lives, they explain away or they gloss over people's weak points. But the Bible's pretty straight up. The Bible says David was a man after God's own heart. But he also uh, murdered a guy to get to his wife or to get his wife. So it's pretty blatantly honest. Sometimes the best thing we can do for somebody is to tell them the truth, to level them. And since none of us are perfect, we're all sinners, um, we need someone to tell us the truth and to be corrected sometimes. Someone who will level with us. Jesus tells us the truth. And a real gospel-centered friend tells us when we're making a mistake. Uh, a real gospel-centered friend tells us when we've got something in our teeth. You know, <laughs> like A real friend, a gospel-centered friend says, I'm just not going to stand aside and let you make one of the biggest mistakes in your life. Don't do it. A real friend walks in when others walk out. Honesty is something we can expect from a gospel-centered friend. I want my close friend to let me know if I'm making a mistake. If, I'm, if, I, if I need advice, I want a close friend to give me advice. I may not like their advice, but I still want them to give it to me. We want honesty from close friends, but we also want acceptance and support and help and validation, don't we? 
No matter who I am, what I do, what I say, a gospel-centered friend accepts me, and we'll get to that shortly. And when I'm ready, a gospel-centered friend helps me change. A gospel-centered friend is honest with us. And they're honest with us even when what they have to say may be hard to hear. A true friend knows when they have the right to speak into our lives, and a true friend knows that it needs to be truly about us and not about them. Jesus Christ has earned the right to speak into our lives because he died for us while we were still sinners. This was not about him. It was all about us. So, true gospel-centered friend understands our weaknesses, is honest with us. More than that, our gospel-centered friend seeks reconciliation when things go wrong. Verses 9 and 10. And since we'll be made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. Now things had gone pretty horrendously wrong between mankind and God, gone wrong from the really beginning. In our, in our connect group, we're doing Genesis. So we do, we're doing Revelation, we've gone right back to the beginning and we're, we're doing Genesis. Man, it's incredible how quickly stuff went wrong, like second generation from Adam and Eve. Eve, ooh. Um, Adam raised a cane. And it's like, man, it went quick. And then this week we're in chapter number four, uh, four, five, six. It went really haywire, really quick. Amazing. We made a mess. We made a mess. But it's amazing. Through, through Jesus Christ, God sought reconciliation with us rather than revenge. Those phrases in the text, made right and restored by, means reconciliation. And reconciliation is a process where enemies become friends. That's the process God took with us. Jesus Christ sought us out and he reconciled us to God so that even though we were once enemies of God, when we accepted Christ into our lives, we became the friends of God. No longer condemned, but saved through Christ's death on the cross. Some people think that God's out to get them. <laughs> Even Christians sometimes think that God's out to get them. Something's gone wrong in our week and we think, what have we done? Have we offended God? We haven't tithed this week. We haven't given this week. Is that the reason why things are going wrong? We just have this sense that God's out for revenge. He's just sitting up there in heaven waiting for us to mess up and say, I got you. But that's not God. God's a true gospel-centered friend through Jesus Christ. He seeks out reconciliation when things go wrong. I was reading after this pastor, and he said that sometimes people say to him, I don't believe in God. And he says, they know I'm a pastor, and they think it's going to shock me. And he says, I always say back to them, tell me what kind of God you don't believe in, believe in because I might not believe in him either. He says to them, have you ever thought about the fact that maybe some of your ideas about God aren't true? Some, maybe some of the ideas and images you grew up with about how God acts towards people aren't right. That's why you've got to go back to the, to the book of truth, the Bible, and find out what God is really like. He says to them, in fact, God so deeply wants, to know, wants you to know what he's really like. He came to earth 2,000 years ago in human form. He was called Jesus Christ. He came to earth so we would know what God is really like. 
One of the things that Jesus teaches us is that God doesn't hold a grudge. He doesn't carry a grudge. He's not a God of shame, but a God of reconciliation. Not because we do deserve it, but that's, that's because of his love and his grace and his mercy. God, because of his love, wipes out our record. He wipes the slate clean. There is no condemnation for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. We stand before God, reconciled to him, if we accept Christ and his friend. Gospel-centered friends seek reconciliation. Friends hurt friends. That's inevitable because we're all sinners. Uh, We sin against one another. We hurt one another, intentionally and unintentionally. But gospel-centered friends seek each other out, and they begin the process of reconciliation and making things right. So I was preparing this point on reconciliation last Saturday, and I woke up grumpy. I was grumpy with Penny, really grumpy, grumpy all day, and I'm sitting there in the afternoon working on this thinking, I'm just sitting in this grumpiness (laughs) and not making reconciliation. I'd have to say at times, and I might have told you this before, I'm not a very gospel-centered husband because I can live in conflict for a few days um, before I make things right. I was thinking last week, you know, gospel-centered husbands, <laughs> gospel-centered spouses, gospel-centered friends, don't sit in conflict. Hey, they, they seek reconciliation. So I did better that evening and got to it on Sunday, so not doing too bad, <laughs> more than a few days. Um, but I love this about God. He seeks us out to reconcile. How, how do you do on this reconciliation thing? Are you someone like me who can sit in conflict for a few days before trying to make it right? Uh, are you quick to reach out and reconcile, or are you slow to do that? Are you, do you work on that wrong and seek to make it right, or do you let it just stew and fester away? It's gospel-centered friends seek reconciliation when things go wrong. And fourthly, this morning, kind of lastly... Gospel-centered friends accept us. Verse number 11. So we can now rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Other versions put it this way. Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. You know what? No matter what we've done in the past, no matter who we've done it with, no matter how many times we've done it or where we've done it, if we've invited Jesus Christ into our lives, we are a friend of God. The thing that Jesus did by dying for us and shedding his blood makes us a friend of God if we take that into our lives. He declares us a friend of God in God's eyes. No matter how much bad we've done, If we've accepted the love of God by accepting Jesus Christ, God looks at us and says, that person is a friend of mine, that they are acceptable to me. And it's not because of anything that we have done, but it's because of what Christ has done for us. His death, it's that simple. Once we ask Jesus Christ into our life, God likes us. And that may be hard to accept, but he likes us. He knows everything about us, the good, the bad, the ugly, and he still likes us through Christ. I think that's so cool.
One of my favorite Christian authors is Robert McGee. He wrote a book called The Search for Significance, which is one of the best books I've ever read. Um, He's an author, he's a counselor. He says this, and I just love this. Our worth lies in the fact that Christ's blood has paid for our sins. Therefore, we are reconciled to God. We are accepted on that basis alone. We are deeply loved, completely forgiven, fully pleasing, totally accepted and complete in Christ. He alone is the final authority on our worth and our acceptance. When I really understood that, I mean really understood that, the lights went on for me. Changed my life. No matter what you think of me, no matter what other people think of me, no matter what actually what I think about myself, the most powerful, significant being in the universe sees me as acceptable to him. That is, that is life-changing, I think. I'm acceptable to God the Father through his Son, Jesus Christ. If you look at, you know, you look at all the social research, it's pretty convincing, pretty, uh, pretty powerful. It says that feeling accepted by somebody else is huge in the life of human beings. It leads to greater physical, emotional, and mental health. When you actually feel accepted... Massive difference. And when you don't feel accepted, when you know you're not accepted, the reverse is true. Sicker, uh, unhappier, more unstable. God was on to something when he wrote this stuff about us being acceptable to him through our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, I just want to say to you this morning that A gospel-centered friend is a friend who expresses acceptance to the other person in the relationship. What does that look like? It looks like, you know, attention. It looks like validation. It looks like listening. It looks like really seeing the other person, really seeing them. Because that's what Christ, that's what God through Christ does for us. He really sees us. He really listens. Moment by moment in the relationship with God, he's attentive to us and we're accepted and acceptable to him. What's the gospel-centered friend? Gospel-centered friend is someone who understands our weaknesses. A gospel-centered friend is someone who is honest with us in a loving and caring way, but they're honest with us. Gospel-centered friend is someone who seeks reconciliation when things go wrong quickly. (laughs) Gospel-centered friend is, is someone when we're with them we feel completely accepted. Jesus Christ is the perfect example of a gospel-centered friend.
If you are uh, here this morning or online and you have never had the experience of the friendship of God, I've got to tell you, it's brilliant. <laughs> you know that early morning in Mapua when I just experienced that friendship? Like I said, I'll never forget it. It's an incredible experience. Stayed with me for the rest of my life. You have the opportunity this morning, if you've never experienced that, to experience it. As the text said that, you know, we weren't righteous, we weren't even good. In fact, we were kind of wicked, ungodly sinners, not nice words, but that describes who we were. And at just the right time in in history, Jesus Christ came to this earth and lived 30 years or so and gave himself up for us. As the passage says, he he died, his blood was shed. They did that to reconcile us and restore us to relationship with God. No more condemnation saved through the blood of Christ. And it sounds like he, but that's the reality of it. When we accept that, I mean truly believe it, accept it, trust in that, that thing that Jesus did. We become a friend of God, no longer an enemy, but a friend. And get to experience what it is to know the the most powerful supreme being in the universe. God, the Father. So invitation to you is twofold this morning. One is to really contemplate what it is to be a gospel-centered friend. You know, those things we talked about understanding and honesty and reconciliation and acceptance. So if you know Christ, better now. That's the gospel-centered relationship. But if you've never experienced that friendship with God the Father, the invitation is this morning to reach out with your heart. Invite him into your life to be your saviour because he saved us. That's what the text said. Never regret it. Best decision you'll ever make. <laughs> the band's going to come up and, and head into King of My Heart. I'm going to pray and while they do that. Heavenly Father, this morning we just want to stop and acknowledge what is an incredible thing to have you as a friend. There's so many things to us, but one of the things you are is a friend, and we want to thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die on our behalf so that that he could open the way and pave the way for us to be friends with you, no longer your enemy, no longer condemned, but even though we are not righteous and not good, we can become your friend. Thank you for the Spirit's work in making that happen, making that take place. Uh, This morning, Lord, and over the course of this series, our desire is to become gospel-centered friends and spouses and parents and all the things that our relationships hold. Help us to see Christ as as just a fantastic example of a gospel-centered friend. Speak to us across uh, across the, the course of this series about what it is to be truly biblical friends and in a biblical gospel-centered relationship. 
Inspire us through your spirit. Speak to us through your word. Thank you for this morning. In your almighty son's name, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.